And thank you, Miss Sue Ann. And good morning again to everybody. Good morning. All righty. Let's see here. Get my microphone on and hooked up. Let's see. Children's Church, of course, as I said earlier, Children's Church is uh, uh, David Anders and then uh, Karen Shell is going to take the Children's Bell Choir over for practice today. So uh, encourage any that want to go over for that, uh, encourage you to do that while uh, those folks are making their way over. If you want to mark 178, almost persuaded uh, in your Bibles or in your hymn books rather. We'll use that as our hand of invitation this morning. And certainly it is good to be here. Uh, again, it's good to have everybody out this morning. Uh, another good crowd, looks like. I didn't, uh, uh, didn't get a chance to ask Ernie, but uh, certainly got a good crowd. Several visitors, good to have you with us this morning. If you're looking for a church home, we'd like for you to consider Locust Grove. Uh, we'd love to have you as part of our family. And uh, invite you to be back with us at any time. And it's always a privilege for me to share in God's word with you. Plenty of basketball going on, isn't there? And I guess everybody's kind of captivated by this St. Pete's team. Uh, of course, we'll see. They play another Blue Blood today. I think it's at 5 o'clock that they play uh, North Carolina. So if they knock off North Carolina, uh, they've uh, got a, a good chance, I think, of uh, making it at least to the to the, the final game. So it's interesting. A lot of, lot of surprises has went on in this year's tournament so far. A lot of teams that were supposed to win that got sent home early, and of course we know they've always one team or so that, that wasn't supposed to do well and they've done good. So we know that any time that a, that a team, whether it be men's or women's, enters that NCAA tournament or the NIT, of course we don't hear much about it, it's going on as well, their goal is to win that tournament be declared national champions. They have a goal in mind, not to just show up, not to just play one game, but everybody's goal is to win. So, and that's something that I want us to think about. You may remember I said last week that I would, would begin our Resurrection Sunday series this morning. And even though it may not seem hardly like that time of year, it's quickly coming upon us. Four short weeks and, and we'll be celebrating the, the birth or the, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Now I want to draw attention to something this morning. I'm going to do my very best in the future not to call it Easter all throughout this series because I don't want us to be focused on that word. Though you may or may not realize that the word Easter does appear in the King James Version of the Bible or in any other King James Versions one time. The word Easter is there one time. And if you want to look that up, it's in Acts chapter 12 verse 4 is where that is. But also here's what you will note in the King James Version. It lists the word Easter there, but it also will direct you or should direct you to a note that says in the original Greek that term is actually referring to Passover. The Passover. Now, the other Bibles, and I went through and looked at, I don't know, about 10 different versions of the same verse, they all call it Passover. So, uh, and before you get up in arms, I'm not knocking anything. I just want us to be aware of, of what it is. Because actually, uh, if you go back in the Hebrew, the word is Pesach. And that means Passover. Now, on the other side of the coin of that, resurrection 
is mentioned 41 times in the Bible. And all but in two cases, it's the exact same word. But in all cases, it means being resurrected or brought back to life from the dead. So the modern day word Easter, and certainly I think you would agree with me, the celebration of Easter has little to do or nothing to do with the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Easter in the Bible, that word means Passover. I say this just because I want us to have a very clear understanding of what we are looking at. Now, I mentioned at Pesach, that's the, uh, the Passover celebration. Well, this year it begins on April the 15th, which is Good Friday this year. The Passover meal will be April the 16th. And then the Passover festival ends on April the 23rd. So none of the feast days, or special days of that, takes place on what we would know as Resurrection Sunday. But we must remember also that Jesus went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. But we today do not celebrate Passover. We celebrate the, re the resurrection of Christ. And that's why I say this. That's why I bring attention to this. is because I want us to focus in on what truly we celebrate because the world needs clarity you think about Easter you don't see much and we'll look at this as we go on into the series there's not as much fanfare if you will even commercially about Easter as there is Christmas we'll talk about that probably next week but it is the most important day for the Christian that we can uh, recognize it's the day that our Lord and our Savior was resurrected, defeated the grave. It's the most important day, really, for all of humanity. And the cross had a goal, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to answer the question, what was the goal of the cross? Just like the NCAA team's goal when they enter into the tournament is to win the tournament. Well, there is a goal to the cross. So I would like for you, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, I have it on the screen behind me, or we have pew Bibles there uh, as well. But I'd like for you to turn with me to Mark chapter 15, verses 16 through 25, is where we're going to begin our study this morning. And Mark records this. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called the Praetorium, and they called together the whole band. And they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head and began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him and bowing their knees worshiped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple of him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. And they compel one Simon, a Cyrene, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him unto the place called Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of the skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he receiveth it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. 
And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. Now, Mark's account here of the crucifixion of Jesus is one that we're familiar with. The cross summons up different visions in our minds. Oftentimes, you probably, and it would be natural, there may be a picture that you have seen in the past. There may be a movie that you have seen in the past. And when you think about the crucifixion of Jesus, you think about that scene of him on that cross from that. And that's okay, because we really know, obviously none of us know what the scene really looked at. But that is what this description that Mark gives us and the other writers of the Gospels uh, is there for. So that we may be able to, to remember what Christ did for us when they drove those nails into his hand, when they drove those nails into his feet while he was hanging there. That's what we should remember as Christians. The cost of our sin is what that cross represents for the Son of God. But we see that here, that Jesus, the fact that Jesus was crucified. So what did it do? What was the goal of that? Well, I think the first one we'll see in Colossians 1.20 is that the goal of the, the cross was to be the ultimate expression of love. To be the ultimate expression of love. In 1 Colossians 1.20 says this, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things into himself, by him I say, whether they be things in the earth or things in heaven. So the cross accomplished for us what we could not for ourselves. It reconciled sin on our behalf because there was no way that we are able to do that even unto today. There may be preachers or there may be teachers that are teaching that somehow that we can reconcile ourselves unto God by the way that we live or maybe the actions that we do. But outside of Jesus Christ, there is no reconciliation to God for sin. That's what the scriptures tell us. And that's what the cross reminds us of. And, and we should understand that the only sacrifice for all people for all time was and is Jesus and that's the ultimate expression of love for his creation. That's the ultimate expression of love displayed for all. That's why I think it's so important that we understand what the cross's goal was when we look at a cross that we have. Here we have a cross on the communion table. We have a cross on the front of our building. And I'd venture to say a good many number of you folks out there right now, if you reached right here, you've got a cross as a necklace. And that should be a reminder to us of the ultimate sacrifice of love that Christ made for me and you and everyone watching. Not just some kind of decoration, not some kind of just flashy piece of jewelry, but something that reminds me that someone had to die so that I may have the hope of heaven and to be reconciled from sin. Look with me in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 6, 7, and 8. And listen to what Paul writes to the church at Rome. He says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. 
For scarcely for a righteous man will die, will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what the cross represents, that ultimate sacrifice. We are all sinners before we come to Christ. And we're sinners afterwards. We're just forgiven. And that's what we have to understand. Before we ever deserved it, because we never did deserve it. God loved us so much, he made a path, a way, a way forward for us to understand his great love for us. And it was the cross. You think back to the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. God gave instructions for the people to select a lamb without blemish or without spot to be sacrificed for the sin of the people. And they had to do that year after year after year. It was a, that was part of, of, the, uh, of the Passover, the celebration. didn't say to go out uh, and wait for a, a sheep or a lamb to come and volunteer for it either, did he? They had to go select a lamb. Christ volunteered for this. He went willingly on our behalf. While we were yet sinners, Paul writes to the church at Rome. Jesus loved the undeserving, and the cross was the ultimate expression of that love. But there's something else. If we look over in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, I think we'll see that the cross was to be the ultimate sacrifice, as we just mentioned. Before the cross, it was an annual event to sacrifice for sin. It's the sacrifice for sin. There was a scapegoat that was, that was sent out into the wilderness on behalf of, of forgiveness for all the sin. But listen to what uh, Jesus says in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. He says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This command have I received of my Father. So this is no different than the command that God had given for the priest and the sacrifice of the people in the Old Covenant. But he gave this command to Christ. That's what he just said. He says, I have the power to lay down my life. I have the power to take it up again. And this command I have received of my Father. It is the sacrifice that ends all sacrifices. It's the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And that's what we see Christ doing here. And you cannot take something from someone that willingly gives it. Even a life. Now murder, we know what murder is. That's where someone breaks the law and steals your life, basically. A sacrificial death is a willing one. A gift of love. Very much the same. We think about, and you hear stories... Uh, tragic stories where a parent saves their child, but it costs them their life. You hear of a story where a soldier, and I remember at the beginning of this Ukrainian war, that there was a soldier from Ukraine that sacrificed himself in order to blow up a bridge so that the, the tanks could not be able to come across as they were beginning an assault. That's, we're, that's not an uncommon kind of sacrifice. And yes, it was maybe for a single life of a child. Maybe it was for uh, several comrades in arms or even your country. 
But this sacrifice that Christ gave was for the world. All the people of the world. So it was the ultimate sacrifice. Turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Now don't be misled and, and think that he's talking about monetary riches. Because that's not what he's speaking about. The poverty that he is writing about is the, is the poverty that sin causes us. The sin debt that we can never pay. But because of Christ paying that debt, we can become rich. We can become rich because of his sacrifice, paying that debt, then we no longer have that debt to pay. And then that gives us the opportunity to hear those words, enter in thou good and faithful servant into thy reward. That is riches beyond what we can believe. Riches beyond what we can imagine. But it's because of the sacrifice of Christ. I, I go back again to John chapter 10, verse 18, and listen to what Jesus says and pay particular close attention as we think about the resurrection and the death, the awful death of Christ and the burial. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. That takes great love, great determination, a great determined love. We know that with Jesus, when he was in the garden, he asked the Father to take this, remove this cup from me, he said. He knew what was coming. If we remember, he prayed so hard and he was so concerned and the weight of the moment was so great that he sweated drops of blood, and that's possible. To do that, the burst, the, the, the blood vessels under the skin, under so much pressure, release blood and it is mingled with the sweat and you will actually sweat blood and that's where Jesus was at because of the horror about what he was about to experience. But all of the horrors could not stop the love that he had. All of the horrors of what was about to happen to Christ could not stop the reconciliation that the cross was going to bring for you and I. So it is the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus made it for all who will accept what the goal of the cross was. And because of that, it brings us to our final point this morning. That it was to be the final solution for sin. The final solution for sin. 1 Peter, if you want to turn over in, in the scripture with me. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death, in the flesh, but quickened or made alive by the Spirit. The old covenant was a temporary solution. Had to go back, remember as I said, each and every year 
perform that sacrifice over and over again. If the people did not sin, there would be no need for sacrifice, would there? Now, I want to ask you something this morning. If, if I asked you, or if we were asked the question, how are you as far as your morality? How are you as far as your morality? Most, if not all of us, would say, well, I'm above average on my morality, on how I view things and, and how I go about my, living my daily life. That's because we compare ourselves to someone who we believe their morality is lower than mine. You ever think about that? What if I ask you this question? How is your morality, how is it that you live your life, the things you say, the things you think, the things you engage in, compared to Christ? Then we all fall short, don't we? <laughs> Each and every one of us falls short. We would not dare say we are even anywhere in the same ballpark as Christ with our morality, with our love, with how we think, how we act, how we portray ourselves as Christians. So as we can see here, this makes that what Peter is writing about. Is that he died once that we may be able to have hope. So I want to ask yourself, compare yourself to Jesus Compare yourself to the examples that he gives us. And I know that we've studied about them because I make it a point that, that we go through these series and we go through these lessons so that we can know and understand how Jesus expects us to act because it's how he reacted. We have the knowledge of how we should treat one another. We have the knowledge of how we should have our families. We have the knowledge of all things that are necessary. The Bible says it equips us for everything that we need. Compare yourself as we go into Easter, because it's that serious, folks. It is that serious that we compare ourselves to what the Bible says, what Jesus taught, to how I'm actually committed to living my life, because he was committed to you and I all the way to the cross. He was committed to all of us through a horrible death. So that we might be reconciled to him. So that we may no longer be under the slavery of sin. That we may have the hope of forgiveness. Because the cross is the final solution for the sin. If you turn over to Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22 verse 16. And we studied this on Sunday night not too long ago about about Saul being converted to Paul on the road to Damascus. In this verse 16, actually beginning back at 6, but I'm not going to read this just to give you a little background. Paul's telling about his conversion on the road to Damascus. <clears throat> and he says this in verse 16 as he's talking about his conversion after being in the house of Ananias. <clears throat> he says, and and the question was asked of him, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized. Wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You've heard me speak. <clears throat> Anybody that's heard me speak over one time should know my view, what the Bible's view is about baptism. My view matters nothing. 
what the Bible's view matters everything. And we see that very same thing here. It's spiritual cleansing. It's being washing away of the sin. It's the final solution with the cross. That reconciliation. Well, how so, Rob? When you hear me baptize, and, and when you hear any preacher baptize, you should hear the comparison of it. it is the It is the likeness of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You go in, you come out in the same way that Christ went in the, in the tomb and came out of the tomb. When we are raised, we are not raised that new creation. We have been washed of our sins. And we have received the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we may continue faithfully serving the Lord. And that's the final answer, just like the game show used to be. That's the final answer, the final solution for sin. It's the cross. It's the work of the cross. It's being baptized in the likeness of the death of Christ. After we make that confession of who Christ is, we're buried in baptism in the same way that he was buried for our sins because of the goal of the cross. And when we're raised, we are resurrected a new person. In Christ, a new creation, the Bible tells us. Just as Christ was resurrected from the grave on Resurrection Sunday, which we, which we celebrate. We don't celebrate Passover. That's the old covenant. We celebrate the resurrection of the one sacrifice. The ultimate sacrifice. The ultimate expression of love. Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate. That's what we look to. That is our hope. In 1 John, John writes this. 1 John verse, chapter 4, verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because God sent his only Son, only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. That we might live through Him. Now you will hear in the world that we live in today that we have to be inclusive. You will hear people say, oh you can't you can't tell people this and you can't tell people that and, and you can't pray in the name of Jesus because you're going to offend someone. But John said that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we may have life. There is no plan B there. And I want to remind you of the words of Christ himself over in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6. The Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus says these words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Jesus is the only way. Because Jesus is the only way because he's the only one that went to the cross for you and me. Jesus is the only one who died for you and me. Jesus is the only one who was resurrected for you and me. 
That's why Jesus can say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father except through me. All of the other religions that do not have Christ as their Savior are false religions. They are false gods that they serve. That's the proclamation of truth that we must continue to say. Just like I proclaim to you, we do not celebrate Easter. We celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They're different. And it matters. And if you don't think it don't matter in the world that we live in today, you just look around the world that we live in today. Truth matters. This truth matters for people's souls going to heaven and going to hell. Period. <laughs> And that's our responsibility. It's my responsibility as a minister, one that stands before you and speaks and proclaims the truth and encourages you. I have to do that with the truth. And we have to do it with, as Christians, we have to tell people the truth as well. And that's why I opened up this series this morning with this particular sermon. The truth about the cross. The truth about the cross. It's a bloody messy, worse than we can imagine, death is to die. And God loved us so much, he sent his one and only begotten son from the glories of heaven to live here among us so that we can learn from him how to conduct ourselves with each other and how to serve God and be pleasing and also so that he could go to the cross and satisfy that goal that there would be a path of reconciliation for you and I. That's the goal of the cross. And that's the biblical truth of the cross. If you accept it. If you will accept the truth. So I ask you this morning, have you? Have you accepted the truth of who Jesus Christ is and why he had to come and why he had to go to the cross? If you've never accepted that, but you are willing to today from hearing the gospel, believing it, being willing to repent of your sins and confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, be willing to be buried with him in the likeness of his death in baptism, raised a new creation, having received forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then walking faithful as the Holy Spirit is your guide, living the best you can serving the Lord until either he comes back or we're called away. That invitation is for you this morning. Now maybe you've done those things and you realize, you know what, I've not fully met my commitment. I've allowed myself to do some things that I shouldn't have done. My morality certainly needs some work. There's something going on in my life that I need to change. But I truly love God with all of my heart, my soul, and my mind and my strength, and I want to serve him, and I need to get back on the right track, today's your day. You don't have to come up here to me. It's not between you and me. It's between you and God. And I encourage you to make that right. Now, if you need to come forward and need support of your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you want to, to uh, rededicate yourself, by all means, come forward. We'll receive you. But if you need to make a change in your life today for Jesus Christ, don't let today go by without doing that. We're going to sing this hymn of invitation, Almost Persuaded. And please don't be almost persuaded. Because one of these verses says, Almost is lost. 
We're going to sing the first and the third verse of this hymn. If you have a decision to make, would you come as we stand and sing? Thank you.